Welcome in. It's on Anchored Boston, the podcast. Bob Lobel, Mike Lynch. I'm Hank Morse. And what do you know? A Boston Celtic is now the all-time all-star game single game scoring leader. After yesterday, Jason Tatum with 55. Hi, guys. Yay. Happy President's Day to everyone. That too. You know what? Especially the ones that have gone before us. Yes, they are. Um, happy President's Day. Yep, 55 points. I don't know whether to say great accomplishment or I don't care. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right in the middle. Go ahead, Mike. Go out on the limb. Say it. Say it. Say it. I don't know if I care. I, I don't know if it's a great, a great accomplishment or not. In the old days, it used to be you'd before you could have your own shoe, you usually had to win something. But that's not the case any longer at the NBA. So Jason Tatum's got an all-star game MVP. He's also got his own new shoe yep. from Nike. The only thing missing, a ring. How many three-point shots were taken in that uh, so-called basketball game? Well, Tatum took 18 on his own. No, no, overall. Between both teams? Yeah. I don't get the Globe uh, hard copy anymore, so it, I, I would probably I would mess everything up if I went to look it up. But I think Hank will get it. Hank's are. I'm on are, it right now. Okay. I guess 110. No, I think it's way far more than that. <laughs> it's north. It's north of that. However, while Hank's looking at it, which you know, the sun may set, the sun may rise. I'm still going to lunch. Into Lou Gorman or whatever. Uh, I made a list of things. Uh, again, Hank, you look very studious. 126. Okay. Three pointers. Boy, that is entertaining. <laughs> Team Giannis made 43.9%. Team LeBron, 28.3. Or as they described him on um, WBZ Sports Report this morning, um, Team Lebron. Really? I was trying to figure out if it was tongue in cheek or not. No, no, no. No, no it wasn't no. WBZ. It was EEI. Well, then why did you say WBZ? I made a mistake. I stand corrected. Who who said that this morning? I kid. I don't know who it was. On EEI, it was. A, aren't they a sports station? Yeah. I thought perhaps it was tongue in cheek. I'm not sure, but there was a team Lebron reference. No, um, we we brought in some nationally known luminaries too. And Lee Webb, uh, when Don Gil they're replacing Don Gillis, and one of the guys said, "Well, um, they gave him a, a video to a voiceover, and well, it was the Detroit Tigers with old their great shortstop Alan Alan Trammell." And he says, "And there's a double by shortstop Alan Trammell." <laughs> and and then I said, you're not going to consider this guy. I he said, absolutely. I said, you can't. You, you you can't have a guy that says something like that. So it's probably you know it's one of those one of those things mistakes you cannot make, ever. I'm trying to think of the of. All right, Lobel, what kind of stupid things have you said on the air over the years? You know, one name I could never say correctly was Frank White, the Royals second baseman. And I was Frank Frank White, oil oil second baseman. One of them, one of those words would always come out of my mouth wrong. Frank White, oil second baseman. Yeah, that was a, an Elmer Fudd tongue twister. Elmer yeah. Fudd, but it wasn't because I did not. I never heard of the guy. Or yeah, I, no, there's there's got to be. I think we've all made similar mistakes. I just maybe we've just erased them because of self preservation. Yeah, but this was a perfect weekend for all those things. You made a list of things not to watch, right? Do not watch under any circumstances, or things that you don't watch. I, just I kinda... did watch. I did watch the end of the Daytona 500. Why? And I, I was flipping around, and they were in a caution, but there were only a couple of laps left, and it was a double overtime. And it was the the longest of history. See, this is the point. Who knows what that means? I still don't, but Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was the winner for the first time ever. Great, great. 
How long did that race take? I don't know, but it's 500 miles, and yesterday's was 530, the longest in history. Why? Why was it 530, not 500? Because, because there were there were some crashes. So some of the laps, when they're under certain flags, the laps, they count the this laps, but they don't count toward the final. It's, not, it's a little like soccer. No, no. This is one of those do not watch moments. I do not I watch a big crash like that. I'm just saying, crashes are one thing. Why the hell do you think people watch? To see the, the overtime flags? Well, they got their money to get the flag in the overtime or the double overtime. You had to see the crashes. It's like the NBA All-Star game. You watch to see the three-pointers? Okay, here's some... All right. Answer me this question, Mike. Yes. Or Hank. How can Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown miss the most important regular season game up to this point, which was against Milwaukee in the All-Star game, before the All-Star game. But Milwaukee, which, of course, they seem to have acquitted themselves in losing because they seem, they played Milwaukee that tough and in overtime. However, it still was billed as the most important regular season game less than a week before the All-Star game. Missed that game because of some bogus injuries here and there. But somehow make it to the All-Star game where you become the MVP, even though you couldn't play the last regular season game before the All-Star game because of some mysterious illness. It's, to me, those are the things that make this bogus, for lack of a better word. Tatum and Brown took a combined 58 field goals yesterday. Those things that, that just... It just doesn't seem to sync up to me that you're going to no-show for the games that matter, for the ones the fans pay for. You're no-show, and yet you can show up for an all-star game or whatever you make, whatever someone, you know, considers an all-star game, which has nothing to do with the quality of play. Um, those are the things when I, I just throw it out there and said. The, I don't get that. I don't get it. Or do I get it? Or, or is it so obvious that I do get it? Maybe for Tatum it was about the JT1. The new Nike JT1, the lightest basketball shoe by the Jordan brand. All right. Well, then say that's what it's about. Don't tell me it's an NBA All-Star game. What do you think, Lynchy? Well, that that kind of uh, – that, that... – Perplexed me along with the, when he missed one of the regular season games to go to his son's birthday party. That that really kind of had me scratching my head. Um, but yeah, that that uh, this has turned to a promotional weekend. Um, they always wear somebody's shoe during the game, usually not their own. Um, well, they haven't asked me to wear mine. Kowloon has a basketball shoe now. <laughs> I saw so, that. You see that the other day? <laughs> I did. It's beautiful. Five hundred dollars? Is that right? Four hundred ninety-five dollars, I think. And they only made like a hundred of them, or something like that. Yep. And people are buying them. Kowloon basketball shoe. Kowloon.com to order yours. Yeah. Now they have fortune cookies in them. Yes, they do. And each one is different. And may you have a long and profitable life, Bob. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, yeah. so I, I, I don't know this. I think you I'd know. take it profitable before I take the long. Like, you know how in sports, you know, there are different terminologies come and go. You know, time and space, that's a big one in hockey. Load management. Was that ever a terminology that you ever heard growing up? Um, Even five years ago, load management. And the other things when they pop up, it's a do not watch reaction. Okay, the XFL. Don't watch. Uh, USFL. Don't watch. Okay. I mean, these are things that's just, you know, it's the, there's a do not watch list. And the NBA All-Star Game is on it. It is. The National yeah. Hockey League All-Star Game is on it. Sorry, Hank. That's the way it goes. What's, yeah. they're, what? they're all, they're, the only one that's, that's worth anything anymore is, is the baseball All-Star Game. And the home yeah. run is probably more, more exciting than the game itself. 
And is Nesson going to be do not watch this spring? Summer? Baseball? Baseball, Red Sox? Oh, you know, we had the Chad Finnis where the Globe is writing a book, a compilation of all the Globe articles on the Boston Red Sox over the years. You know, Ray Fitzgerald, Lee Montville, Shaughnessy, all, all Red Sox. It's got to be fascinating if anybody cared about the team it's writing, they're writing about. It's the most ironic thing. It was due to come out opening day, and we hope to get Chad on during the show. But if not this one, then the next one. But the book's coming out, scheduled to come out for opening day. It looks like it's a fantastic compilation of, it's actually a book. I mean, remember what those were? A book. If I had one around the house, I'd show it to you. But I'm going to have a tough time finding one. 432 pages. 432? 432. That's, That's a, a book. How, That's how long book. is the Bible? Not sure. I, 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 I've still got a few yeah, pages. It's a, little, it's a little longer. The New Testament or the Old Testament? Which is longer? I think the uh, Old. But I just, I'm just throwing that out there because... 50 50 proposition. Well, at and least when you're reading Chad Finn's book, world of betting, you know, bet whether the New Testament or the Old Testament is longer. Go over to Encore and place your bet. You know, it's kind of funny. Let's just uh, digress for a moment. You brought that up. How is it in the very first That's weekend? Kind of funny. How is it in the very first weekend where you can bet in the casinos in Massachusetts on sports that all three violated? Uh, the state law where you can't bet on local college sports with the exception of March Madness. Somebody bet $7,000 on Merrimack College basketball, and one of them took the bet. How does that happen? Uh, I, it's, it's either got to be, in this day and age, either human error or some kind of a computer glitch. That means it had to be put into a computer. And it was pretty obvious. Yeah, you can't do that. They well, if all anything. three did it, it looks like it might have been a mistake across the board, doesn't it? Well, if you have a tournament with four more teams in it, like called, I don't know, they call it any tournament, the Bob Bow Classic. Yeah. Uh, Aramac and Bentley and Stonehill and somebody Kent, else. Kent State, Kent State, Kent State, Kent State. How many presidents do you have? Are you celebrating President's Day this weekend, Kent State? Uh, oh, of course. Okay. Does that mean that you should, is this is this where you say how many presidents Harvard has had versus <laughs> how many presidents Kent State? Is that where this line comes in? Yes. Uh huh. Oh. Yes. I thought it was going to be Harvard versus Harvard versus Quincy. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I that that kind of perplexed me a little bit too, Hank. Uh, that. Uh, one of my neighbors is the head of the uh, gaming commission, Kathy Judd Stein, and um, uh, she must. I, I, I can imagine she's not too happy with uh, with all three outlets, but they all did it. And one was Merrimack, and was the other BU, Hank? It could be. I don't know. I just read about the Merrimack one. Yeah. Well, one of my neighbors is John Quincy Adams, and he didn't give a shit. Do you know I'm related to John Quincy Adams? I didn't know that. John either. Adams? I am. Yeah. See, they live in Medford at one time? They visited Medford at one point. Governor Winthrop had cousins here. And yep. um, later on, they were related through blood. So historically speaking, they wanted to retrace some of the uh, forefathers' uh, tracings. So they did visit. Um, George Washington did sleep in the house about 100 yards down from me. That's the uh, house on really? the corner of uh, Woburn and High Street. Yeah. So this is where I tune in. This is this is where this show becomes a do not watch show. <laughs> Maybe just for you. I get yeah. a lot of good feedback yeah. about it. Yeah. And a shout out, um, Lynch, you saw a couple of friends of yours the other night, Sammy D'Agostino and the lovely Bev. Oh. They were asking cool. for you. And uh, Murphy Brothers Electric that I think did some work on your house at one time. Well, what, where are they the sponsor, Hank? Where, where, do where? They, where do they come in on our show when it comes to well, they want to watch. They want to see a couple of more episodes. Before they fully commit. Well, you know, here's the way it works. They fully commit, and then we let them see the next episodes. 
<laughs> well, Sammy's, I mean, they own D'Agostino's Delis. I mean, Winchester, Arlington, right, Lynchy? I mean, the best. Yeah. Um, and even Sammy said to me the other night, and congratulations uh, to Stephen and Michelle McGlynn on the marriage of their daughter, oh my God. Jolene, to the lovely James Hathaway of uh, Miami. Hank, you just knock it off. Even Sammy, <laughs> Hank, purveyor of fine foods, Hank, I'm telling you, knows that our best meatballs are the real deal. This is a guy who, who has two gigantic facilities of his mother's homemade meatballs. And he said, Hank, you know, I don't know Hank. why. The our best meatballs. Nice try. They are real and they are spectacular. Whether you put sauce on them, you don't put sauce on them. Not you bad. cut them up small, put them in a nice little pan of dosis roll. I probably shouldn't mention them either. They're not as much. Bad move, Hank. Bad move. You got the big, uh, you got the two inch, or you have the hors d'oeuvre. They're all good. So you walk in to your local grocer, frozen food section. You look left, you look right, you look for the smiling chef, affectionately known as. Pablo Bell, right here. Probably has a room reserved down at spring training to go watch the Red Sox already. Yeah, well, that's, you know, in, winter, that's in Winter Haven. That's not in Fort Myers. There you go. Italian style. I get Italian style, too, but mine's uh, yellow. Yours is green. Well, mine's fresh. Mine's, mine, mine's look like it's stuffed with uh, meatballs, but there's really nothing in it. I think it's just uh, something to make it look, look fuller, but it's because I ate them all. And there they are right there. They're delicious right there. Sam, yum. You know, you mentioned something, uh, Hank, about will anybody be, be watching Ness in the spring? And yeah. um, I was down. Um, oh, by, uh, sorry to interrupt, but ladies yeah. and gentlemen, boys and girls. Whoa, baby, here he is. Now batting <laughs> for Unanchored Bloss in the podcast, Chad Finn. Another yeah, few people have found the show. <laughs> What's up, fellas? Hey, Chad, how are you? I'm all right. How is everybody? Good. Well, we're just, we're just, uh, we're kind of talking about your book a little bit. Mike said it was 400 and some pages and 32. Four, we, 432, and we couldn't figure out if that was longer than the Bible. And uh, if it was, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a condensed version of the Bible, uh, 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 a little bit shorter. Do you have a new test? Probably wordier, though. Do, do you have a new era and a modern era, or, or do you, sort of like the Bible? Is it sort of split in half, like the New Testament and the Old Testament? <laughs> Chad, yeah, we the all, Old Testament is pre-2004. We also were compiling a list, Chad, of things we do not watch on television. There are other uh, do-not-watch lists, like the NBA All-Star Game, or like uh, yeah. things like the XFL. And uh, it's, a, it's just a do-not-watch list. And the Red Sox almost have made it on the list. So I, I can't understand why this is a great effort. 432 pages of effort on your half <laughs> and, and all those globe columnists. Well, how did this come about? Um, well, it came I mean, from the How many was... times we talk about a book? What's that? It's an actual book. I would show one. If I had one in my house, I'd show it. Ah, That's the one uh, I have. I hope they send me more than one. Yeah, so do we. Let's see it. Hold, hold it up there. Just hold it up. My big see. wish. Wow. That's, yeah. that's the 04, right? Yeah, they put Koji on the cover. Uh, I had to talk him out of Chris Sale. <laughs> <laughs> it's available at Amazon.com and the bookstore near you, Barnes & Noble. That's right. Uh, March 7th. Yeah, available online now and in bookstores March 7th. And, uh, yeah, the the idea came from uh, the publisher, Black Dog and Leventhal, uh, which had done a Yankees book about 20 years ago, uh, back when they were winning World Series. And it uh, ended up having a bunch of printings and doing pretty well. It was the Times coverage of the Yankees. So 20 years later, I guess they decided they wanted to do one for the Red Sox, too. And uh, my editor asked me if I would do it which meant calling all the stories from our library, figuring what went in, what didn't, um, curating the whole thing and writing like the intros to the different chapters, different phases in Red Sox history and writing the main intro. So I kind of got to write a book without actually doing a whole hell of a lot of writing, which is exactly the way I like it. And uh, um, 
the real pleasant surprise of the whole thing was that we had everything in Red Sox history. The globe has been around longer than the Red Sox have. And we had every uh, story you could think of covered. We had a story in the globe when they had the sham tryout for Jackie Robinson. Uh, really? What story. was that like? It was like three inches long. And it said Red Sox tryout, uh, Robinson, Sam Jethro, and uh, a couple other players. But I was shocked we even acknowledged it based on. Did it have a byline know. to it? No, I don't think it did. No. Um, but it did was John Henry uh, write the forward for this at all, or <laughs> <laughs> no, he may write the uh, end of it for me, but uh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, no, Eck did the forward, yeah. We, oh, uh, beautiful, we, we, yeah. We uh tried the usual Affleck Damon uh celebrity routes and didn't quite work out. And I just uh, I said to Eck, hey, uh, you know, would you like to do this? And uh, he said, I'll uh. I'll tell you what I want to say, and you write it for me. <laughs> so I helped him pull it together. But uh, yeah, this is right. It's actually how I found out that he was retiring, because um, I sat down to do this with with him one day. And you guys all know how Ack is. He's just super candid and uh, casual, almost about how he reveals information. And he it was in August, and he said, "Yeah, I'm thinking about not coming back next year." I was like, "What are you talking about? You know, everybody's." Uh, Nobody would know what to do without you. Just lost Jerry, and and uh, you know you're the guy everybody loves. They, they hate to see both of you guys go within, um, you know, a short period of time. And I was like, oh, going back to California probably, um, you know, being my grandkids, being my daughter, and uh, just do those life things. And when he told me that, it sounded pretty convincing already. So that's how I kind of got wind that he was. He was going to hang it up at the end Amazing. of the season, which, yeah. When when does that book come out, Chad? You know, Eck, Shaughnessy's asked Eck to do a book a few different times. Has he? Um, and Eck just says he doesn't want to do it because uh, he feels like he'd even have to, I mean, I feel like he's spilled everything, but apparently there's other things he would have to talk about a little bit more deeply that he doesn't want to. So I don't know what those are, but uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he gets much bigger name writers than me offering him book deals all the time. And he said no for years and years. Hey, Chad, uh, every, anytime you, you undertake a project like this is, I always call it, there's a wow factor. Um, you're reading through all these, these articles, this history, these different periods. Do you find something that went, wow, I didn't know that. I, I didn't realize that. Wow. I didn't realize that. Did you, were you wowed by anything? Uh, pretty much everything Gammons wrote in the seventies. Um, I wasn't, uh, I mean, I read it all growing up, but you know, you don't revisit that. And then you go back when you're hunting through everything and, uh, just realize how, how on point he was with everything, how ingrained he was with the Red Sox, uh, how opinionated he was. I mean, he had, he had takes that were, uh, wrong, but they were bold and they were, you know, well-sourced and well-thought out. And, um, uh, so that was the number one thing for me. I actually used in the book, one of his full Sunday columns, uh, just, uh, in its entirety, including stuff that had nothing to do with the Red Sox, just so people could remember what those were like. Um, also Lee Montville in the 80, he covered the, uh, the world series, the Mets Red Sox world series, and, and was generally the columnist for that, or Dan was, but both of them were writing on the same night. And uh, Lee's stuff was just incredible on the on deadline on Buckner, you know, and stuff like that. It's, just, it, it, it's out of reach for any mortal writer to write like like Montfield did. And did does. any Groton references make your book? Probably, yes. Yeah, enough of them, right? Between those two, between Dan and Peter, but uh, uh, I'd have to check the index. But I, I'm sure they slipped one or two past me. <laughs> So, go ahead, Mike. You know, I, I, it'd be unfair to ask who was your who was your favorite going back in time. Um, you know, he, I think he, each one had their own individual style. When you look at Montville, where he fits. When you look at yeah, yeah. When you look at uh, you know who, uh, Chad Finn. When you look at uh, Chris right, Gass. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, it really was a Mount Rushmore with more than four heads. Yeah. Um, 
of writing for the Globe during all this time. Really yeah. Good point there. Yeah. You know what? Actually, you mentioned Wow Factor. Uh, Ray Fitzgerald wrote a column when Tiant signed with the Yankees, and he ended it by saying he wanted to put his head in the oven. <laughs> uh, that that's a wow factor i mean he was incredible too and he's the first one i remember because my dad used to bring home the all the boss is a herald american when i was a kid and uh, bring home those papers on our local paper and he always saved the globe for last because it was his favorite so i you know he's got to kind of read it first and uh ray fitzgerald's the first guy i really remember i remember um you know joe fitzgerald harold and Tim Horgan and guys like that too, because my dad also read them. But the the ones who jumped out to me were the Globe guys, and uh, you know we don't think of him as a baseball guy first and foremost, even though I think he'd tell you it's his favorite sport. But um, probably the one who influenced me most was Ryan Bob Ryan because uh, he just has a passion for sports that comes through in his writing and a real love for for the games and what he's able to do and um, do for a living. And uh, that's kind of the same approach that I, I've tried to take that, um, you know, pretty lucky to do this beyond being everybody's cynical about it one point or another, but, uh, for the most part, especially these last 20 years, I mean, this hasn't been a whole hell of a lot to complain about. And, um, you know, Bob could light people up when he, when he felt like it and do it really well. But for the most part, there was kind of some wonder in his writing about, uh, what he got to do. And, uh, it's kind of the, the, the mode I tried to follow more than Lee Lee's inimitable. You know, Dan, Dan does his own thing and a lot of people try to mimic him. Um, but uh, Bob was the one who's kind of the role model for me and Gammons to a degree. See, Mike you and know? I were wondering why you left out our favorite Jack Craig. <laughs> Jack has stuff in here. Um, I mean, I cover the media. Beat, I was a beat, fan you know. of Jack, believe it or not. Did you uh, deal with him a lot? Oh, yeah. Oh, are you yeah. kidding Every Show them the burn marks every week. <laughs> sad. Think about think think about think about this. I mean, this was back when it was Jack Craig, Ed Siegel. I mean, because Ed wrote television and Jack wrote sports television. Monica Collins of the Herald, Jim Baker. I mean, every week, five, you know, come on, every mm -hmm. week, how many times a week were we potentially on the firing line? And most of the time we'd make it. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, oh, I remember Baker just lighting up Ordway left and right. That seemed to be his thing. Um, Jack, who I think was a little more balanced. I mean, he invented. Jack was a little more balanced. Jack and Eddie yeah, yeah. Amelman were not exactly uh, compatible. You know what Jack always got was people's salary numbers. I don't know if they were accurate, but looking back <laughs> at his old stuff, Dino especially was real quick to tell him how much he was making. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but he was quoting Lobel numbers. That was the problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Jack. Uh, Jack's got some stuff in here. Like uh, I put in when uh, Nesson launched, and Monfell had a column about that. About I'm not paying for paying for uh, t to watch the Red Sox. This is a scam, and <laughs> I think that's how a lot of people might feel about it. But uh, and and when Remy got hired, uh, Jack Craig wrote about that too. Very positive column about Remy getting. The color analyst gig back in '88. As you did all this research, was there ever a point where you saw how the styles changed or the coverage changed? And you know, if you go back 50 years, a lot of the writers, you know, they were far more friendly with the players and ownership than they yeah. are now. Is there any trend in that that you saw or noticed specifically? Well, yeah, a bunch of a bunch of different times. I mean, you go back. This goes back to the start of the Red Sox in 1901. So some of the writing there, I didn't know what words they were using. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> hell is this supposed to mean? Um, so I, some of that, uh, you know, we would edit out if it wouldn't make sense to any current reader 120 years later. Um, but uh, so the book's more weighted towards stuff that's happened, like Ted Williams and on. It's more recent, but. Um, so the language just early on was uh, much different than it is now. And then you get into, you know, get into the 50s, 40s and 50s and, um, you know, integration, some of the language used in the newspaper when uh, the black players started uh, playing Major League Baseball, Pumpsy Green, 19, what, 59, 60 with the Red Sox, the last team to integrate uh, some things in there that would would make you groan a little bit. We used we actually used the word. Uh, Negro in headlines all the time. Like when they signed George Scott as a 17-year-old, they compared him to 
Hank Aaron uh, and, you know, mentioned his color in the headline. Um, th so things like that that uh, really that changed. Much, yeah, much for the better. But I imagine so, it was par for the course back then. It was so, that's so amazing because yeah. it, it wasn't that long ago. It, no. Did it, did it make you cringe when you when you read some of it, Chad? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, people knew the history of like Cliff Keen, who uh, covered the Red Sox forever. And well, uh, Lynchy, Lynchy's buddy on the radio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it was in the Jack Craig column, actually, that he talked about how they should melt Boomer down into hockey pucks, that uh, Cliff Keen had said that on the radio. And, oh, God. Yeah. That, that would get you more than a suspension nowadays. Uh, but, you know, that was in the 70s, too. That was, uh, that was when Boomer's second go around with the Red Sox. So just stuff like that that uh, absolutely made you cringe. But, uh, you know, you got to, I, we had discussions about whether we should leave those stories out. And I, I, I argued no, because it's, um, right. you know, tells you the story of the time and, and, and won that argument. So well, here's, I may be difficult to answer this question. Uh, because you're standing right in the middle of decades. You're standing right in the middle of two decades. I mean, in past and present. Yeah. Uh, so what happened? Where is the whole great writing gone? Not that it's, mm. you know, I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? It'd be hard to yeah. fill up today with what you filled it with from over the last, you know, 100 years. Where, where did all the good guys go? I, th I think what happened was um, newspapers stopped being the end destination for writers. Uh, if you get a job at the Globe, I mean, hell, I wouldn't have gotten hired at the Globe because there were too many in the 80s because there were too many great writers there. Um, but uh, when the Internet launched and ESPN started, you know, really became the powerhouse that it is, uh, it stopped. The, the Globe stock being the endpoint for people like uh, Peter Gammons, who went and you know did baseball tonight, or um, you look at uh, Will McDonough, really trailblazing the NFL insider on NBC back in the '80s. Um, you know he he was uh, the first to do that, and that opened up a lot of doors for other people. But it also meant the the best of the best don't always stay in print. Um, so and you know it's more turnover too. I mean guys would stay for uh 20 30 40 50 years and some still do you know dan's been here a long time but you know bob ryan still writes for us kevin dupont's still here uh, and doing great work but uh, a lot of times people just don't look at at the major metropolitan daily as the destination anymore plus it's harder work i mean i don't care how you cut it writing writing is harder than talking yeah that's what I hear. I mean, I struggle with the talking part, so I don't know. But, uh, um, you know, Bob, I mean, Bob went and did uh, what Channel 5 for it was like 84, 85, somewhere around there. Yeah, one year, almost and, like, like almost two, exactly almost 365 days. He did yeah. the start of the Boston Marathon and he was done and he handed the microphone to somebody and he went in the afternoon <laughs> and worked with, with the, I think he covered the marathon for Channel 5 live in the morning. And wrote about it for the Globe in the afternoon. Uh, same thing with Chris Casper. He, he lasted about a year. He just found that his passion was writing. Uh, then you get the other. Um, you get Tony Maz, who yeah, who, who left and was you know a, a good writer for the Globe and went to went to TV. But yeah, you didn't have you didn't have those things. That, the, the options weren't there. Yeah, and, and you're right. It wasn't it was a destination. It wasn't a jumping off point. Yeah, it was the ultimate goal. And, uh, you know, other things emerged that, um, you know, made the best of the best of newspapers probably have other opportunities they wouldn't have had in the 70s and even early 80s. But, uh, yeah, Bob's talked about that one year. Uh, you know, he, he knows how hard writing is, but I think he found TV was uh, a, a different kind of challenge. He used to tell me that, um, you know, you go into the barbershop to get a haircut. And, you know, the Globe line on the, on the thing, you know, one guy would read the next. So for eight hours... Maybe yeah. 15 guys who were getting haircuts came in and read his column. If they didn't see his two-minute report on Channel 5 at 6 o'clock, you know, they were stuck in traffic or they're going out to dinner, going to a game, 
yeah. it, didn't, it didn't exist for them. And that, that's what really bothered him is that, you know, he's, he was a writer through and through. He was great on television, but but he was 10 times better as a writer and still is. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, it's not like that anymore because, uh, you know, print doesn't have the magnitude that it had then. Uh, I don't know what percentage of my readers read it online, but I'd say it's probably more than in print at this point. So um, that's kind of like watching it on TV. If you pick up your phone or your computer and read it there, that's your opportunity. It's uh, it's not getting passed around like uh, like the paper used to. Anything by the very underrated, at least my own opinion, Stan Grossfeld in there? <laughs> yes. What was it? Was it, did it have to do with the all-star game and they wouldn't give him a credential? So he, he got this <laughs> lift over the monster. No, I know that story though. It just slowly rises up <laughs> above the monster. What was it? All right. I can find this. It's all right. It's a great, while you're looking, we can, we can all agree that this town was so rich in, in this writing and so, uh, so fortunate to have all these people. Uh, you know, okay, the Detroit had Joe Falls, uh, yeah. Gordon Cleveland had Gordon Cobbledick. So they, I mean, they all had their in, individual writers here and there, but nothing like this. This was this was a golden uh, a golden treasure for anybody that was a sports fan in New England was to have the gift of these writers. Yeah, I think it's part of the reason they were sports became so important to the you know entire region community new england and, and you know ingrained in it is because of the way it was covered i mean you 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 it's politics and sports in boston and they basically had the same resources assigned to them back in those days which is um you know kind of tells you the value and importance of it but uh yeah the stand story was uh the, uh, when he sat with Duquette in the ble in the stands at Fenway, do you remember that one? And he was booing no. Clements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, it was it was a year or two after he got fired, and and Duquette uh, he did a feature on Duquette, and Duquette was going to Sox Yankees game and uh, kind of made an ass out of himself in front of the stand, <laughs> yelling at Clements and uh, um, booing him, and uh, a great piece. But Stan stands. Stan so great at finding stories too. I mean, uh, you know, recently he, he, last spring he got Bogarts to go to the beach with him and did a big story on him there. I mean, nobody, no other writer would be able to pull that off. And um, you know, Stan's so good at building relationships. Everybody likes him. He's just good to everybody. And uh, uh, you know, like uh, like the even the the, the celebrities, the, the big name people, really uh, find some appeal in Stan and a connection with him. Yeah. Like Bruce Springsteen. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you you look at uh, some of the stuff Stan shot of him through the years, and he's just got these incredible photos. And I know that uh, he gave a couple of them to Springsteen, and, and you know, they have a, uh, a relationship based on that. But, uh, yeah, everybody loves that guy. And so he gets stories just out of having trust with his subject that a lot of writers don't. This would be a good topic right now to ask Chad, because we talk about this all the time. But – um, Cold Springs RV up in Ware, New Hampshire, W-E-A-R-R-E, Ware, New Hampshire, coldspringsrv.com. We always talk about, um, they, they sell great big, uh, motorhomes, travel trailers, fifth wheels, pop-ups, uh, toy haulers. And we're always talking about going in the Lobby Cruiser and, <laughs> take, you know, going to all the halls of fame or taking a trip down to spring training. And then we'll talk about who would like to have with us on the trip to, for conversation would you rather bring you know uh bill belichick would you rather you know bring brady <laughs> or ourselves who are three or four people you'd like to go on a cold springs rv trip with for conversation chad oh right. boy right none now. of the people you mentioned <laughs> and certainly uh, none, of the, none of the people pictured here no <laughs> <laughs> well yeah sure you three uh, oh, yeah, that was know. good. You had to say that. Come on, you go to Parcells. I mean, there's got to be a few. I would say Pedro would be up pretty high up there. 
good um, one. If you're going to like Cooperstown town or something, from I, I always thought he was probably the the uh, most interesting or one of the most interesting people that Boston sports has had. Complicated, uh, you know, killer on the mound, but um, big-hearted guy away from it. Um, I, I think that would be pretty interesting conversation with him to you know get a couple beverages in him. Um, yeah, I don't know. How far do you think you'd get with Ted Williams to where you either stopped and got out or you let (laughs) and let him out? Uh, Would we be out of state yet? I don't know. I don't know. I think Ted would get a lot of leeway, though. Just be get a lot of a lot of swearing. A lot of the the best. Yaz would have to be a no, right? Well, yes. Chain chain smoking. Yeah. Good fishing. Yeah. Yeah. I Um, don't know. Eck. I was like Dak. Eck would be entertaining. Feel a high strung. Oil can. Okay. <laughs> if you want to end up in jail, probably. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but you could take a nice deep sea fishing trip with them once you get to Cleveland. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The Lake Erie Ocean. You know. You know. I, honestly, I you say that, but I'll tell you one thing about Dennis. Uh, he was, was a very sensitive guy. I mean, I yeah, I did two interviews with him already that haven't been aired, that belonged to Jack uh, or Jim Burke, our producer, and uh, he cried in both of them. It's was he was that from his playing days? It was post playing days. Post. I did an interview with him in spring training, right after Trump got elected. In the first, well, the first and only time, he was actually crying on during the interview, saying he had no idea what is about to happen. You know, he was fairly astute, and hmm. I know that's what I said. Hmm. And and the other one, I and I told this to Lynchy and and Hank that he said uh, in this other interview we did up in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, about the 86 World Series, about the trainer, Charlie Moss, who told John McNamara, do not pitch oil can in the seventh game because he's not ready, which oil can totally resented because he thinks it turned changed his whole career. He yeah. felt a racist move. And it's just interesting stuff that he's, that I ne- had never seen, you know, written or, or talked about and, it still hasn't been hasn't been aired, but he was huh. always, he was a pretty sensitive guy, despite his problems with Charlestown and his you know ability to know the gra- geographic layout of the Great Lakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, you know, he had a lot of things, a lot of really positive things going for him, besides the fact that he could pitch. Yeah, yeah, he. Uh, I mean, he got buried by McNamara for sure, and I, you know, I know he was having. Yeah, he had that meltdown when he didn't make the all-star team in 86, but right. probably right. their second or third most talented starting pitcher, depending probably probably behind Hearst as well as Clemens, but still somebody who shouldn't have been buried. Right. Anyway, that's that's we digress because we're talking about traveling companions. Chad, you know what? If you Chad, maybe you just want to go with your family. We talk about it all the time. You can go up to Cold Springs RV and where New Hampshire because all the 2023 models are out. Some leftover 2022s, best selection, best prices, best service. You can go, your kids can jump on the beds. You can use the bathrooms. The people are nice when you go there and uh, it's a great experience. So uh, go to coldspringsrv.com if you want to take a look at their inventory or just uh, jump in the car. Today, President's Day, they probably have some great deals going on. Just shoot on up, take an hour and a half to get up to. Uh, where New Hampshire, W E A R E, where New Hampshire and Cold Springs RV. Chad, hold up the book again, okay? Just uh, re- refresh our memories. It's called what? Just so I can. It's the uh, Boston Globe story of the Red Sox. And uh, it's got Koji from the 2013 World Series because we picked the best photo that we liked. Right? Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, he was a player everybody liked, you know, the. The, the, I think I mentioned this, but the, the publishers wanted to go with a photo of Chris Sale from 2018, and it was right in the middle of the uh, 
uh, vaccination stuff with him and he was hurt again. And it's like, this isn't going to help sell books. Yeah. <laughs> because if he stands no. sideways, you wouldn't be able to see him on the cover. Right. Should have put him on the, on the side, but uh, <laughs> yeah. God, let, me, let me ask you this. The, um, for lack of a better uh, analogy, the Howard Hughes of the Red Sox from 1901 to now is probably Ted Williams. Uh, the guy that did, did any writer get to know this guy or did he alienate himself? the media so much that we never really knew much about Ted Williams via the lens of the Boston Globe. Well, you know what? He always talked. I mean, going back through, uh, you know, he would rip the media, but he would talk to them. So you always had copy, which is really all anybody probably wanted. Um, his history with the Globe wasn't as bad as it was with other papers. He had an issue with a guy named Mel Webb at the Globe who, uh, the story went that he screwed Ted out of one of his uh, out of an MVP award. I think it was 47. And uh, as it turned out, he didn't. He didn't even have a vote that year. But uh, Ted forever thought that he he was the guy who prevented him from winning it. I think it was when Joe Gordon of the Yankees won, uh, which, you know, obviously he's no Ted. And um, but his bigger issues were like uh, Dave. Dave Egan, I think uh, it was on the Herald, one of the defunct papers who really went after the colonel. They called him, went after Ted all the time. And uh, that was a hate-hate relationship. Uh, but uh, he, I mean, we have like a long Q&A with Ted in there where he talks about his personal life. Um, we had, uh, I couldn't get it into the book because it was so long, uh, but there was like a seven-part series Um in the middle of his career, which uh, he sat down with a reporter and just went over everything. Um, it would have, would, to use it would have been redundant with all the other stories about him, you know, going off to war and uh, hitting 406 and, and all of those things. So I decided to keep those stories separate rather than one big condensed uh, feature that was done on him in the middle of his career. But he, he was accessible, contrary to maybe what the perception was. He just, uh, um, you know, had no use for the media, made it clear, but he did talk to him. Is there anything in there about Doug Mankiewicz in the last out of the uh, 2004 World Series? I'd love to relive or reread how he kept the baseball, and then the Red Sox wanted the baseball back. I kind of forgot how that went, but that was also yeah. a story that kind of fascinated me. I'm like, let him keep the ball. He caught it. It didn't go through his legs. Yeah, they had that. And uh, that's part of one of the, I think, a Bob Holler story in here. But uh, and Papelbon too took the ball in 07 and claimed that his dog ate it, uh, which <laughs> nobody believes and, and that that he he still has it. But uh, yeah, the Mikavich thing, it was always there was always something. Even when they won, there was always something. Somewhere yeah, right. It was always something, game. right? Always. Yeah. There's yeah. a number touchstone points of the history of the franchise, whether it was the Titanic sinking, the sale of Babe Ruth, <laughs> uh, you know, whether it was the Titanic, Babe Ruth, the yep. 27 Yankees, um, on and on as it, as it goes through the decades and the, the decades that produced nothing, uh, nothing over and over and over again. Denny yeah. Galehouse, was there a Denny Galehouse story in there? I there is, yeah. Yeah. It's not fair for me to ask you about individual stories. I mean, come on. No, absolutely. Uh, but what would what would you say would be like the four or five major uh turning points or tipping points, I should say, in, in today's vernacular of for this franchise over the years? Yeah, well, we broke it down into 10 chapters, but you could probably condense it the tipping points down to like six or seven, maybe even fewer than that. But, um, you know, we have the origins of the franchise, how they actually ended up getting one. Then uh, Fenway opens, you get Babe and Heaven. You have a story chat one. about Mrs. Yawkey or where she, who she was? Uh, who was, who was it, it's, it, it's referenced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in a, in a story about Tom, uh, big, profile of tom but uh, i'm sorry i'll let you finish yes. what you're gonna say no i did i did run into that stuff yeah it's uh it's it, it's mentioned in uh vague language let's 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 put it that way but uh yeah you know the babe arrow was one then you have from like after the sale of babe to about ted's arrival where nothing really happened um they were terrible most of the time they had jimmy fox but until 
they signed Ted in 37 and then he gets some majors uh, in, in uh, what, 39. Um, kind of a slow period there. So we packed a lot into that chapter. Ted could have been five chapters himself. Uh, that was the hardest edit in the book, You deciding what to use about him and what not to, because you got 20, his career spanned 39 to 60. And uh, basically the book is 400 stories. So, um, you know, over, uh, you know, over 120 years of a franchise, that's two or three stories a season. So there were times where we had to uh, do almost nothing from, uh, you know, like 1936 or something. Um, and that gives you more space to use for Ted or for 1967 or for 1975 or for 86 or then 2004 and ever after when everything actually changed. So um, it's weighted, definitely weighted toward the biggest moments. But, you know, they had their stretches where just they weren't very interesting. Late 50s, you know, Jackie Jensen won the an MVP award, but um, basically it was Ted and nothing else. No, no real um, contend, you know, they didn't contend for penance or anything like that. So we, we went slim on the years where, uh, you know, the team wasn't very good or interesting and, and tried to weigh it more toward uh, those years. Everybody remembers. All right. Here's a, here's a really loaded question. Who's the most, <laughs> important, who's the most important person in the history of this franchise? Most important person? Uh, who? who well, yes. Yeah. Sean, uh, Shaughnessy and I have this argument, and he gets really mad. Um, but it's, uh, I always say Ortiz, he changed everything. He did what Yaz couldn't do, what Williams couldn't well, do. Well, no wonder Shaughnessy argues with you about this. <laughs> he gets really mad. He, he treats me like I'm young when that happens, which I appreciate. Um, but, you know, I mean, Ted's obviously the best player. And uh, if you're doing a Mount Rushmore, he's he's the first one you do. But, but you think Ortiz, Ortiz is the guy the who got the hit nobody else got. You think he's the most important – Ortiz is the most important person in the history of this franchise. Well, you keep saying person. Are you talking about – are you saying John Henry or Yaki? I, I was going to say, should I say owner? Should I say Tom yeah. Yaki type? Should I say – general manager type or should i say player type i don't know i don't know yeah you can make a theo argument really well he yeah, actually put a team together that won and uh you know you go look at that 07 team that that was the absolute ideal of how you build a team to and the 2007 champs nobody thinks of but because it was most boring yeah they, they were just good but you had you had holdovers from 04, like Manny, Ortiz, Schilling. You had benefits of a great trade, Beckett and Lowell, and you had the farm system sending up tons of talent. I mean, Pedroia and Ellsbury were the one-two hitters in the World Series that year, and they were both rookies. And you had Lester, Papelbon. That's what they should be striving to do right now, and they're nowhere close on any of those, Matt. They don't have superstars other than maybe Devers, and they don't have a farm system that's really producing anything right now. You know, Marcel Meyer might be special, but he hasn't played in double A yet. Um, so I don't know. Looking back at 15, 16 years ago, that was the ideal of what a team should, the Red Sox team should be with the resources that they have. And for one reason or another, they're not approaching it that way right now. Chad, yeah, what about uh, local guys uh, who uh, lives and careers ended in tragedy? Uh, you got Harry Gannis, Tony, Tony C. Are they in the book? Yeah, both. Um, a lot of Tony C, but, uh, you know, setting the home run record, uh, uh, fresh fastest to 100, um, stuff about his the game story from his debut uh, at Fenway when he hit the home run, uh, and obviously everything that came after. Um, and uh, we we have, I think, two stories on Aganis, uh his death, and one before that on the just the hype from when he signed we actually we have one football photo in the paper in the in the book and it's uh tim punting a ball either at bu or in high school i'm not sure which which it's from but we didn't have any baseball player archives of him and uh, baseball photos of him in our archives but we had a ton of football ones just think about this you might need to write a whole other chapter. Where they well, they call that an addendum when you follow up to your book. Because have the Red Sox ever had a player or a first baseman show up to spring training uh, wearing fingernail polish? <laughs> Did Cassis do that? Anything wrong with that? I'm just. 
that guy goes out and lays in the sun on the field before the game. So uh, he's going to fall into that quirky category that, uh, you know, people will love if he's good and people will find extremely annoying if he's not. But, uh, yeah, he's a, he's an interesting kid. He is. He's got self-confidence. That's what I love about him. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's going to be good, too. He might not hit for a high batting average right away, but he's going to hit home runs and get on base. And uh, I mean, think about this. The, the Red Sox double play could go – Hernandez to Arroyo to Cassis. It doesn't have a confident ring to it, do you think? The over-under on uh, healthy players from that group in May is is uh, one and a half. Um, I, I mean, Hernandez and Arroyo both have had a hard time staying on the field. Uh, Hernandez hurt his hip playing center field. I don't know how that's going to hold up playing shortstop. But, um, you know, they're... And he's also their best center fielder, so I'm not quite sure how this strengthens them. But, yeah, a lot of fallout from messing up or not really caring to sign Bogarts. Is now, there a distinction in this book, Chad, like the Nick Cafardo or any of the uh, – like this is dedicated to all those that came before us or whatever? Uh, some in the acknowledgments. Um, Nick? Nick has one of my favorite stories in the book. He uh, he hated the Jeff Bagwell trade when Lou Gorman made it. Hated it. And um, obviously, he was right. Can't we get players like that came from, by the way? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, Nick, Nick essentially said that in his story that day. And it wasn't a column. It was the news story of it. But he was, uh, he was pissed that they traded Bagwell because Hobson, who managed him in AA, um, raved about him and tried to, you know, convince the Red Sox not to make that deal. And uh, Lou figured they had Scott Cooper and, and uh, Naring, and they were all set at third base. Where is Larry Anderson right now? Uh, last I knew he did Phillies games. I don't know if he's retired, but he was uh, part of their broadcast for a long time. And uh, if you dealt with him. Watching the podcast or listening, we traded, we being the Red Sox, Traded Bagwell for Larry Anderson in 1990. Late in the past. Are the Red Sox on board with this book? Were they, were they cooperative? Are they, they, they contribute at all? Anything? Well, Mike, yeah. Yeah, the, owner, the guy owns both of the operations. I know, but, you know, sometimes, you, you know, yeah, Chad knows what I'm saying. It's more of a. I mean, it's more of a celebration of the Globe coverage than a hatchet job on the current state of the Red Sox. So they're. Uh, they're, you know, they're happy for nostalgia, um, just based on what their team looks like this year. <laughs> and what you wanted this to come out opening day, right? They did, yeah. Or uh, ready for Father's Day. I was a little nervous about it this winter, looking, saying, you know, what kind of team they were putting together. But um, you tend to hear a few more hopeful things once spring training comes around. Well, if this happens and this happens and this happens, maybe uh, you know maybe we can beat out the Orioles for fourth place or get on the edge of the wild card or something like that. Uh, so it's uh, it's not quite as negative about the Red Sox right now as as it, as it was a few months ago. I was at Fenway Park Thursday night for an event, and I think as of today, we're 38 days from opening day. Sox yeah. and Orioles, right? And there's no outfield. It's dirt. <laughs> it kind of rem- when I saw it, it kind of reminded me of the Super Bowl. I'm thinking, geez, we got six weeks to go and there's no grass in the outfield. Wow. Well, they don't have an outfield uh, to play, actually, either. So <laughs> uh, Duga, Duval. And- right. Oh. That's a good, good point. Yeah. I have so an- why, why put an outfield out there? What do you need that for? Right, yeah. Although they spent a hundred million bucks on Yoshida, so he better be good. But uh, um, yeah, it's uh, I've seen it in that condition before. They uh, they must work miracles here over next month. Chad, everything changed with the '67 season. Um, the reason that you know it's, it's a tourist attraction, basically Fenway Park right now. No matter what team yeah. is in that field. Can you draw a string in a line right back to 1967? Is that the, that, <clears throat> the consensus and the feeling? We you get that feeling in the book. Yeah, yeah. I think the we probably have the most stories from that year. Um, either 67 uh, or 75 has a lot just because 
Gammons was on top of his game, uh, you know, at the pinnacle of his, his talent. So everything he wrote in the 75 World Series was incredible. Um, but yeah, you definitely get that. There's, uh, I think it's in the uh, chapter essay for, for that stretch of time where uh, the spike in uh, attendance is mentioned where what uh they drew they averaged like twenty thousand or something in 66 and yeah. uh, it wasn't even that much yeah it was no, fewer, less, less, than that. Less, less than that yeah yeah, yeah and just went through the roof after 67 so yeah that's the uh that really is the turning point you, know, you have a couple turning points in 2004 is when obviously all the ghosts were exercised but uh 67 is when it became uh, you know, part of the fabric of Boston in a way that it wasn't before. I'm sure your hope is, and it would be the case with the publishers and and all the people that worked on this uh, effort, that it would cut across all lines, male, female, young and old. But there's got to be some prototypical reader you have in mind when you see or would expect someone to go and get this book for Father's Day or yeah. for mother's day or for whatever just for themselves for their own home keeping what does that person look like how old, how old is that <laughs> dork in the hat right here <laughs> that's all my biases <laughs> uh well you know i thought about my dad a lot because uh you know ted he grew up he's born 1940 he grew up uh, watching ted williams and um uh you know that to him was the height of his Red Sox fandom, even though he still cares about him to this day. Uh, but what I tried to do was, you know, we talk about these turning points. Um, your particular turning point might be Ted Williams, uh, Ted Williams's career, or the time where you really became a fan was Ted Williams's career, or 67 with Yaz, or for me, it was 78. That was the first year I followed the Red Sox. Um, incredible year of the, you know, brutal ending, but, um, I tried to capture those points where uh, people were most likely to really fall for the team, where, where something of great magnitude, for better or worse, happened for them. 75, even 86. I mean, a brutal ending, but sure is fun to read about Dave Henderson's home run. Um, and then, of course, for the younger generation, it's just it's post 2004 uh, Poppy's arrival. Um, you know, and uh, everything that they've won since then. But I think if you pick up the book, no matter what age you are, you're you're going to find the point where you really began to care about the team is covered pretty well. Chad, you got any book signings coming up? Are you going to be uh, at Barnes & Noble in Burlington? I'm going down to Fort Myers for the official launch. Um, they haven't told me what I'm doing at all uh, in terms of what I my assignment is. And I know I'm doing one at Harvard Bookstore because John and Linda own that. Um, so that one's on there, but I'm not sure, not sure what else otherwise. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'll do as many as I want. Um, you know, I'd love to meet people and, uh, you know, I practice my autograph all the time in math That's class good. in fifth right. grade. So, but, you know, time to use it now. A couple of four letter words. Does it hurt? <laughs> can you hold up the cover no. of the book again so people can, can see it? One last Story time. of the Red Sox. Me and Eck, right there. Okay, one quick question. Villain. Is there, uh, uh, there would be, be a list of villains throughout the franchise history, like Bucky Dent? Yeah. Yeah, I'm that was that right, but that's that's not the kind of villain I was talking about, Michael. John Harrington was the kind of villain I'm talking about. Uh -huh. People that that seem to eat at this franchise from inside. Right. I, for lack of a better way of putting it, I'm not sure how I'm describing this, but you know what I think? I hope you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, people kind of took advantage of their situation. Um, yeah. There's, there's a story in there I think Gammons wrote about uh, how they let Fen Fenway fall apart, the Yaki, uh, Yaki Trust and John Harrington. And right. how, you know, you remember like in the late 90s, it was just, they didn't pick up the trash, you know, out on, uh, you know, out on Lansdowne, and it was a com complete mess. The ballpark Why? was a mess. Why inside. was that? They just didn't care to. And, uh, you know, that changed when when uh, 
you know, John Henry, Tom Warner, Lucchino got involved and brought in Janet Marie Smith to revitalize the place. Um, big part of that was not just putting up the monster seats and all the upgrades, but just cleaning the whole neighborhood up and, and uh, you know, making it, I guess, more family friendly, but really just cleaner than it was before. Good. I can't oh, wait to see it. I can't wait. Can't wait, Jack, Congratulations. If anybody wants, to, I mean, you must be doing out, uh, going out to do some speaking gigs about this book and you want to bring some books with you. Where can they get a hold of you? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to find that out. Can they send you an email at the Globe or? You have a oh, yeah. yeah. Chad.fin at Globe.com. Yeah, you can reach me there and uh, Twitter, you know, usual social media cesspools. I'd give out your Venmo account number so people can buy like an autograph <laughs> copy, you know. Just Let us know give my address and I'll just sign them at the door. Because with our vast audience, Chad, we could really help you out. <laughs> Joan hey, McNeil Bird will count. buy one. What's that? Our friend Joan McNeil Bird, lovely uh, listener, viewer from Winchester, Massachusetts. Should buy one, right? Yeah. yeah. Used to work. Well, I would appreciate staff. that. Well, none, of us, none of us have agreed to buy one. I, mean, I think we're all looking for free copies. However, <laughs> if it push came to shove, Finn, I would buy one. Okay. I'm all right. All right. My record. I'm the first one. It's like Channel Two auction. Sign me up. <laughs> I have an idea that could work. Why don't we do the show in the next month or by opening day at George Gray's Lexington Toyota? Where we started doing, we'll have Chad come with us. George Gray, the greatest. His family's owned Lexington Toyota over 50 years. He's kind, he's generous, and Lexington Toyota, great selection, great service, great prices, and the most charitable human being you could ever find in your lifetime. His beautiful family was there. We always say these glowing things. You know why? Because they're true. Maybe we can work on that. You come. To the podcast, we'll have the books. Maybe we got a live audience. No, you pull a few strings. I'll be there. <laughs> I might be in an RV going somewhere, though. You never know. You never oh, know. This, right. this has a lot of legs. Don't you worry, Chad. <laughs> <clears throat> we know hey, what we're going to be eating. You did a great job, Chad. Thank you. Hey, yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. It's great to see you guys. Thank, thanks for coming on. And uh, I, I know people love hearing these. I mean, just this discussion we had right here is just Makes me want to go out and buy the book because. You know, oh God, Mike! I can't calm down. Calm down. <laughs> hey, I'm like you grew up a Cleveland Indian fan. I grew up a Red Sox fan. Yeah, All right. Yeah, we're allowed yeah. to change, aren't we? We're allowed to morph into something positive. I had you at Tony C. First game was uh, that. Right, 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 right. Tony C. lived in uh, lived about two two streets away from me, and uh, my dad, Billy, and uh, Richie, and I were high school. Uh, teammates in football and baseball in high school. So uh, I have a lot of fondness for the Cangelaro family. And, yeah. Uh, I can't wait to read it. It should be great. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty, pretty fun and pretty uh, stressful. Never been, never dealt with this before. So we'll I see played against Denny Glass, Glass, uh, whatever his name is. Yeah. Yeah. Denny Glass is oh. in high school. Okay. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. Good job today. All right. All right. See you guys. Chad, Take care. Yep, we That's love you bad. all. Chad, thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks, everybody. Unacred Boston is a presentation of Unacred Media, a Burke Advertising LLC company. For show information, visit unacredboston.com. Thank you.